Hey everybody, welcome to the Recourse Podcast. I'm your host, TA. Today's conversation is with Ashley Williams. He joined me over Zoom because he's currently in Honduras on his coffee farm. And he is gonna share a little bit about his coffee farm, but more importantly, he's gonna share about the people and the projects that he's able to pour into because of his coffee farm. You're also gonna hear us talk a little bit about some of the things we're seeing and some of the view that he's um, experiencing because for the first time ever, I'm gonna take the podcast and because we were able to visually record it on Zoom, I'm gonna post it on YouTube. So if you wanna see what we're talking about, check out this podcast over on YouTube. If you wanna just stay here and listen, that's great. Make sure you have a great cup of coffee. We're gonna jump right into the conversation with Ashley. my little cup of coffee yeah the view looks great yeah we've got a pretty good view <laughs> to say the least right yeah it's uh and we got coffee it's surprising a lot of times when i do a short trip though i, I actually bring coffee with me oh. and the guy in customs one time says we have honduras co- uh, co- coffee in honduras i said yeah this is honduran coffee and i said but i uh not going to buy any and so uh, but i have to stop and roast it and then wait a couple days before you can drink it and so uh i just i'll bring a couple bags with me and uh it's easier to roast it in the states here all i have is like the little sample roaster so then i have to roast like 12 ounces at a time and uh, it doesn't last long so i'm sure when i sit i drink i drink three cups when i sit down normally okay so that's um and I buy little tiny cups when I go to the different little local markets and stuff. They got little cool cups. And this one actually had a little matching saucer. So uh, I like the little cups. I keep my pot covered so it'll be hot. I'm sort of snooty about hot coffee. <laughs> I, can, I can drink bad coffee. I just like it to be hot. But. I get that. Well, I think we can just jump right in. I love the noises in the background, too. It just feels very yeah. like... He's not going to leave us alone. Oh. There's, there's a video on my Facebook called It's My Banana. And I was sitting in the door and there's this, I mean, the birds are big. And so he's sitting there waiting to get up enough nerve to come down. He's sitting up in the passion fruit. I've got passion fruit growing 30 feet up in that tree. But he was he was sitting there when I opened the door and I figured he'd fly away and he did and he kept eating. And so I started talking to him and he didn't fly away. And so I got close to him and started yelling, that's my banana. And he just, he didn't care. He didn't care. You can have what's left when I'm done. (laughs) Well, I'm excited that you were willing to sit down and chat today and tell us more about Legacy Farms, how it all came to be. But why don't you start by tell us who you are and where you are. Right now I'm in uh, Cerro Bueno, Honduras on uh, my coffee farm. It's called Legacy Farms Coffee. And uh, I'm here working on the Beneficio. That's the that's a wet mill that processes the coffee. So I'm here for nine days to try to get that put together. It's probably not going to happen, but oh. uh, so we'll. Uh, well, this is a good excuse to come back. But harvest starts in about six weeks, so it's got to happen between now and then. Uh, it should process about 5,500 pounds of coffee an hour. And wow. so coffee is very heavy when it comes out of the farm. It takes seven pounds of the coffee that is picked raw out of the farm to make one pound of coffee that you get. Well, actually, it takes probably it takes about eight and a half pounds because by the time we roast it, it loses a lot of weight. So about eight and a, eight and a half pounds of the coffee that we pick in the farm to make one pound of coffee that that you get in your bag that you drink. That's and crazy. So, but no, I'm here. Uh, I'm here by myself. Uh, there's no family. The workers come in anywhere from six to three, according to which shift they're on, or six uh, and seven, according to what shift they're on. And then they leave at around three or three thirty. And so at three thirty, it's just me and the birds. And uh, we've got a dog and cats and stuff like that. But yeah. and then I, I go take a nap is what my goal is around four. I'll take a nap from four to five and then I get up and I I work and uh, build projects and stuff in the shop. And we've got a little weight room we built, or my son built most of it, so we can go out and exercise. And yeah, so it's just sort of a, 
it's, it's not necessarily lonely, but you you get lonesome out here, you know, just by yourself. So then you'll, you know, head to a restaurant, and, you know, if you want to go out and eat. But other than that, I, I cook for myself and just uh, just sort of hang out. It's a good, peaceful time. How big is the city that you're in in Honduras? Uh, we're in the middle of nowhere. Okay. And so uh, I'll t uh, it's hard to get pictures. But you can just mainly see trees out here. But if you look real hard, you'll see a glimmer of a tin roof. And the houses are pretty small. And so they'll build a house that's like 20 foot by 20 foot, you mm -hmm. know, or somewhere like that. And so there's probably 30 houses that I can see from here. But there's little stores that people have, like, as part of their house. They've converted a store. They're called pulperias. So those are everywhere. Mm -hmm. But it's a 20-minute drive to, like, a store where I could buy milk. And uh, ice cream, of course, you know, the staple foods. For sure. <laughs> but uh, like if I wanted to go get good cheese and stuff like that, it's about an hour and a half drive. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> to go yeah. to a good, a good dentist is two and a half hours. I've had the same dentist here for over 20 years. And uh, she's in Tegucigalpa, the principal city. So it's a two and a half hour drive there. And it's a brutal drive back, you know, you're... <laughs> According to what she does to you. Yeah. Ooh, sometimes I, I've got a place I'll go take a nap for an hour sometimes before I get on the road. Because driving smart. here is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, the preacher here that preaches at our church, he went to driving school for a week. And then another, he works with another nonprofit full time. And he works with us part time. And then he shows up at church Sunday in like a $30,000 truck. Like, well, they just loan it to me whenever I need it. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. That is Only awesome. Farm. Yeah, for him, but whoever's got to pay for that poor thing. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, I'm the only person on the farm that drives. I have about a dozen guys that have bicycles, but other than that, uh, it's they pretty much walk everywhere or take the okay. bus for long trips. And it's a dollar for them to take the bus to the main main town and then the dollar back. So when they go buy, you know, their big groceries yeah. for the month. Then they would, yeah. they would go to town. And and most of the time, the kids wouldn't get to go because that's a big expense. And uh, that's probably just an excuse because, you know, I wouldn't necessarily bring my kids every time, you know. <laughs> so, yep. <laughs> but I mean, dollars a big deal. You know, you got to really watch those dollars here. Yep. Know? Hey. And, uh, but we've got some a lot of good people. We've got about a dozen people that work here every day. That's awesome. And, uh, Midian, I tried to get her here. She's a little shy. She was our intern. Anna, who runs the farm, that's her daughter. And oh, okay. uh, she just graduated college and she interned for us for three months as part of her graduation requirements. And then we hired her the 1st of October. So uh, I tried to get her to come and say hi, but it wouldn't happen. But uh, that's okay. she's in there inventory and books for the library. I brought 153 books from the States in my bag this time. That's so amazing. she inventory that into the library. And I haven't got a count, but... There's a lot of books. And the other night I had to build another set of shelves. So that's a good, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the things that when I saw you, we had, we've connected over um, on a podcast site. Um, and so one of the things you had talked about, not only just having this amazing coffee farm and how you're using it as a ministry, but that you're adding to that ministry through books and different things. And when we shared, you were telling me stories of um, people like Santos and how you were helping with his barber shop, things like that. I just... I mean, how do yeah. you not, it goes beyond just, you know, making coffee and, and, and supporting um, people through that. But um, I wonder if you'd be willing to share that story with Santos for us. Uh, Santos, we've helped him buy a couple of farms and get them planted. Mm -hmm. Bahidio is the one that has the barbershop. Oh, I got confused. Sorry about that. He's coming out later this afternoon. He's going to give me a haircut. Oh, nice. Yeah. We do it here on the, we'll do it right here on the porch. I love uh, that. Yesterday, I started training him to weld. So I put some pictures of him welding on my Instagram yesterday. Nice. He's one of the most humble people that you'll ever meet. He's just such a nice, nice guy. But we were uh, we were working out the shop one day, and uh, I told him we need to have a meeting later this afternoon. And I have this meeting. I call it, what do you want to be when you grow up meeting? And basically, uh, having a full-time job is a big deal here, because that means that I have to start putting back for your retirement. You get two weeks of paid vacation a year, which very seldom they take it. They cho you generally choose to work and make double time. Yeah. And uh, 
And so that's a big deal. And so I ask them because the mentality of the people, they have to live Saturday to Saturday. Saturday is payday. And so they're trying to make it to the next payday. You know, that's their economic situation. And most farms here will get the guys when they need them and then send them home because they don't, they're not going to spend any money. They don't have to. Mm. And so most of these guys will work about eight or nine months out of the year because of the big family. There's always a couple of sons in the family and somebody, a couple of them are always working. The families survive. And uh, so I asked him, I said, you know, what do you want to be? What are some of your goals? And he said, I want, I want to be a, I want to have a barber shop, be a barber. And I said, man, you're 50 feet away from being a barber. And he looked at me because my Spanish is far from perfect. And I ran in the house and I got my wall, you know, kit and some scissors. And, and so I took them out to him and I said, man, start cutting hair, you know? And, uh, so, uh, later we painted him a PVC pipe with red and blue stripes and hung it out from his place. And then later on, we built him a big sign and I took it to a friend of mine, had it painted and it says Barbaria Osman because he named it after his first son. Oh. And, uh, yeah, it's sort of, I mean, sort of hard for the girls, you know, because they don't get anything. <laughs> but uh, so uh, his son's young. He's got an older daughter, Suyapa, and she gets nothing named after her. Yeah. But um, just a long story short, it came from my idea of I've come on mission trips before. And we always do, we go buy a thousand pounds of food and we pack it up and everybody gets food for the week. And, uh, and that's great. But uh, I like the saying, you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. You teach yeah. a man to fish. Well, I didn't teach him to cut hair, but I gave him the tools to cut hair. And so if I teach the man to fish, I got to make sure I give him a fishing rod and things like that. One thing I didn't think of is you got to get the guy fishing license. Or in his case, you got to get him permission to operate a business. And you have sure. to have a permission from Registro Sanitario, and that is the health department. Well, I forgot about those things. And then the, the health department shows up and wanted to see his license. And he had no idea. And I had no idea. So he called me. He said, no, they came and said they want to talk to you. And so I said, well, I don't know why. But so five bucks later, we had his little license, you know. And so now he's got an official. And we helped him get a barber chair. It's not a real barber chair, but it spins and it functions. And he's picked, cut out every picture of every magazine of hairstyles. And, and now he, I think he told me the other day he has six different electric clippers. Because when some of the North Americans found out, uh, they brought him clippers and scissors. And the women in the sewing thing, they made him a, uh, uh, whatever you call it, a little cape. Cape, with yeah. Velcro, yeah. you know. And so, uh, I mean, he's pretty fancy. We went and bought him a big mirror to hang on the wall. And so... Uh, yeah, he's uh, he does really well with it. And now on Sundays, uh, the Catholic he's Catholic, so they go to church on Saturday. So Sunday he's got the whole day off, and so Sunday he makes more money cutting hair than he makes for me the whole week. And uh, so now uh, when he needs to work for me, he uh, yeah he hires a guy to come in and cut the hair for him. And so sure. he, he says, still, I make, I make good money. And then he schedules the guard for the library and the project up on top of the hill. So he schedules himself on Sunday to guard, which is double pay. And so he, he's got it figured out, he's you know, got he's it figured out. Ropes, you know, so I he think gets, the, you know, he yeah. makes, making good money. He's happy with it. And we got him, we got him a corn grinder and he saved his money up and he and his wife bought a, an industrial corn grinder. And so now they've got a contract with a, a woman that does tortillas. And so they're making pretty good money doing that. And uh, yeah, the, the idea is so that one day, if I'm just handing out food packets, because well, I'm planning on living forever, but that may not happen. Um, <laughs> but if I die, they don't go right back to where they were. You know, right. He's got means and, and we bring his coffee to the States also. Yeah. I love the idea of just that the coffee farm is almost the into allowing so many other things to happen. I think God works in that way. It's not just, I have you here, just focus on yourself. It's focus on all these other mini assignments that I'm gonna give you with all these other people. And it's such a good inlet for you and your family to be able to pour into people in a new way and to look beyond, like you said, it's not about when I'm just here and what I can do for people, but what we can empower them to do themselves. Yeah, I was talking to Midian about something similar to that today. There was some uh, 
there's some plan. Uh, I see a lot of the, and it's not a bad thing. I'm not trying to be critical, but I see a lot of North Americans come here and, uh, and they're drawing like a salary and they're coming here and doing mission work. But when we ca that came across the table as, you know, some discussion, I could hire, we did the math today on what I pay Midian. I could hire six Hondurans for the base salary of what a, a North American would be to have a North American here. Yeah. And I've got somebody that understands the people, the culture, hopefully someone that lives here. They're invested in their own community, speak the language perfectly. I'm assuming she speaks pretty good Spanish. And uh, and so to me, it just doesn't make sense. You know, we let mission teams come out and we're tickled to have them. And they mm -hmm. come out for a week or two. and We do some big projects and things like that. But the whole idea of the project was to, to do better jobs, pay more and things like that for the people that live here. Yeah. And, uh, and so you know, we're building apartments. Hopefully uh, this next year, we're going to build apartments so that we can have groups come. And I love the groups coming. Yeah. For me, that's, that's a bit, that's a fine time. Yeah. You know, a good excuse to eat out every night. And, and <laughs> I, I would too, if, if I, if I thought I wouldn't have a heart attack, but uh, it's the food is so great. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, Gary, my cat. Is yeah. I can see somebody walking by. He hates me, but he cries all the time. He stays within six <laughs> feet of me all the time. Aww. Come on up, Gary. Oh, I hear him. <laughs> Gary actually had kittens last year, but okay. we still stuck with the name. I'm like, oh, okay, that's new. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's why he hates me. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but he looked like a boy when he was little. Oh, so, yeah, well. But now mentally, there's something wrong with the cat. Uh-oh. Because, yeah, because she had six kittens. And from the time they were little tiny kittens, he hissed and growled and bit and just hated everybody. Oh, and we've been that him. way for a year. He just hates everybody. Oh. And so, but he always comes around for mealtime. And I, I share my Stroop waffle with him. I have these little Stroop waffles. Oh, yes. Those are delicious. Yeah. <laughs> I've had those before. So, so speaking of your, of your coffee, I was going to ask, how, what is your preferred way of drinking coffee? I normally do the pour over. Okay. Uh, well, I don't own a coffee pot. We have a couple of them in like Anna's office in the apartment for visitors. We have coffee pots, but the apartment for visitors generally has a, uh, uh, a basic French press because that's easy to use. And then a V60, sure. uh, which is like a, a little cone brewer. Uh, and then we have a coffee pot in there that does the water to 195 degrees so they can you know get fancy if they want to. Yeah. But I try to have every method. You know, I, I don't collect a lot of things, but I uh, I have all the different methods for brewing coffee that I can afford. You know, some of them sure. are quite quite expensive, but uh, I generally use what's called a Kleber brewer. And it's a little cone type brewer and has a valve on the bottom. So when I, I put my coffee in there and I put about 100 milligrams of water in there and let it steep for about a minute to a minute and a half. And then I go ahead and pour up. I do 30 grams of coffee, 450 grams of water. Okay. When, and when I'm pouring, I get to about 250 milligrams. I go ahead and open the valve and then let it run on through. And it, exactly 450, I try to stop. And uh, and that's the, and that ends up uh, brewing about 300, uh, about three cups of coffee. Yeah. And that's, uh, I'll drink it until it gets cold. And then I'm sorry, but it's gone. It's gone <laughs> once it's gone. And in Europe, purists, like just black coffee, no cream, no sugar, no additives no. or... Pretty much, but when I go to town with the boys and we go to, uh, I love Don Napo's and he makes an awesome frozen fresa and Ooh. it's fresh strawberries mm -hmm. and that just means frozen strawberry. So it's a strawberry milkshake, but it's made with fresh strawberries, fresh milk, and the milk is so thick. And uh, they make the boys one of those and I'll get me some kind of like a cappuccino with three packs of sugar. Let's just load it in there, you know, yeah, yeah. and uh, that's, that's the one time that I'll drink, you know, something different, but I appreciate the different flavors, even in bad coffee, there's always something, you know, that there's something different in it. Uh, and when you go to houses a lot of times and they serve you coffee and you know, right off the bat, the water had been boiled for three minutes or whatever the rule is. Mm -hmm. And it's floor, what we call floor coffee uh, in Spanish is huacuco. And it's the coffee that falls off the vines that's never going to ripen. And they just dry it out in the road or they dry it out in a piece of black plastic. 
uh, I give it to the farmers. They'll come in or the workers. They'll come in at the end of the year and they'll pick three or four thousand pounds of coffee up off the ground. Yeah. And they'll dry it on our patio because we're not using it anymore. And they take it home. That's what they'll drink throughout the year. Mm -hmm. But it's a tradition kind of thing. Uh, they get home in the afternoons. They'll take a shower. And when they get out and they get dressed, their wife generally brings them out coffee. And I know that Santiago and uh, Pedro, I was at their house one day and, you know, their wife brought us all out coffee and we had a little bread with a little bit of sugar sprinkled on the top of it. And we just sat for a little while and drank some coffee and it's very relaxing and, you know, and it's just regular old coffee and the, they pour a lot of sugar in it and very yeah. seldom you'll ever have milk because most people don't have a refrigerator. Sure, but sure. The, the powdered milk is pretty good. I've tried it a couple of times. So we were drinking a lot of that during COVID. Yeah, but, uh, oh, I bet. Out of, the, out of the emergency stores we have. But uh, we had to get in and we couldn't leave or anything. But no, I enjoy the traditional stuff. And But as far as the project goes, one of the main things I've enjoyed was helping. We've always tried to make some more jobs for women. And so mm -hmm. they, they work on the patio. They uh, They do all the selecting. And these are jobs where they can come in, you know, after they take the kids to school and they can work half days, they can work by the pound or they can work by the day and it suits their schedules pretty well. Um, there's a certain amount of pride that the women take in being able to take care of the house, the kids. And if they can throw a job in on top of that, then, you know, then that's pretty nice and double the income of the family too. Yeah. And so Did uh, we try to make more jobs for women and women yeah. can do so many things that they traditionally haven't been allowed to do here. You know, that's great. And, yeah. uh, and some, we've had a man come up one day and his daughter was working on the patio and he's like, no, that's a man's job. She could do something else. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not going to argue with them, but yeah. Did you find it was hard culturally when you started spending more and more time in Honduras? Like what were some of the cultural shifts for you and your family? Well, it's tough learning that you're an idiot. And so that's, <laughs> that, that, was, that was a hard pill to swallow. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a smart, I'm a pretty smart guy. I think I can figure out things. And I came here with a lot of ideas and uh, too much too quick, I think. And so I had to settle down the first few, few months and say, you know, listen, I went through farm bosses pretty, pretty regularly the first year. Yeah. I think it was three the first year. And uh some of them had a mindset of this is the way to do it and I'm not going to change. I had the mindset that, well, I'm the one with the paycheck. You're going to do what I say. Well, no, they won't. They'll just leave, you know, and because it was, I mean, it was, if they're a farm boss, they're supposed to know how to run the farm and I'm telling him how to do his job. So he left, you know, and I lost a lot of contractors. And so, you know, I had to learn that, you know, I need to listen as much as, and that's, that's where the wisdom comes in and listening. And I've read that in a Bible, you know, and I know I'm supposed to do it, but uh, I wasn't. And so knowing and probably, doing totally different. <laughs> yes. Right. And and being uh, culturally, the, the workers in the field won't come and talk to me, mm. you know. And so when I'm in the house, I make, have to make sure I keep it fairly quiet because I like to have some noise, especially when I'm here by myself. I got two boys. So when they're here, that's no problem at all. Sure. But uh, yesterday I heard the dog barking and then I turned the radio down and I heard a guy out there whistling, you know, and they won't come to the door and knock because this is my home, you know, and they're not, you know, and, uh, you know, I told them one day, put, I need some water bottles in the house, the big five gallon bottles. I come back and there's six of them blocking the door. They're not going to come in your house, you know, sure, sure. median today, the books were in the house. And she didn't want to come in the house and work on the books. So we moved all the books out to the cupping lab and she feels good out there. You know? Yeah. And so I'm not home. I said, there's Pepsi in the refrigerator. And you could just tell she was nervous about, you know, being in the house. I said, I, I'll be back at 10 and then for my podcast with you. But she was very nervous about being in the house. And sure. so, but culturally communicating with them. Uh, it took a year for me to get Mahidio, my, my favorite guy in the world, to get him to come to the porch and drink coffee with me, you know, and I would drive up to the project at night and sit with him and drink coffee. But culturally, there's this um, separation between the rich and the poor. And honestly, I think the rich people sort of like that, you know, idea. And the Mario Domo will come and he'll talk to me with the concern that a worker has, or generally he'll just tell him no, you know, yeah. um, 
And so we've had to get them to where they they are still stern enough that they can control the workers in the farm and not control them, but, you know, have that respect. Mm -hmm. But then where they're soft enough not to just always say no to everything, you know, and uh, you're just not wanting to come to me. Santos and I butted heads, man. He and I, I, I was just angry at him all the time. And it was simply because he lives an hour and 45 minute walk away. But he wouldn't come to me and say, I need to come in at seven because it's so dangerous walking when there's fog and it's still dark. You know, can I come in at seven? And but apparently for like two years, he had asked two different farm bosses and they just said no. And nobody ever asked me. And even after I've helped him buy a farm, you know, we financed the farm. We've given him plants. We've done all kinds of fun things for him. And he still didn't have that confidence to come and talk to me directly about it. Yeah. And it got to the point where everybody was going to quit one day and everything hit the fan. And I'm calling Julia, extend my ticket because <laughs> everybody just quit, you know, and then we sit down and and find out that's his biggest issue. And so I said, well, tomorrow morning, let's ask the workers because it doesn't make sense for you to come in at seven. If you know, let's talk to the workers. And so we changed the whole schedule. So now the whole farm comes in at seven. Yeah, I don't care. I don't enjoy getting up at four, you know, so I, <laughs> and so uh Norm, they used to come in at six and that's traditionally yeah. where the other farms, how they work. Yeah. So now we do seven to three. Yeah. And so I could care less. And, but it, it made all the difference. And he has changed more than any worker I've ever had. He has changed more yeah. and uh, he seems happy now. And then, you know, uh, just things work. If he's happy, yeah. happy worker, happy farm, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but just culturally, you know, you don't just drop in at somebody's house and things mm -hmm. like that. Uh, and so yeah, I had to learn a whole lot. And even though I've been coming here for since 98, it's, it was a completely different feel when I got here, here, you know, people are asking why, why are you here? Because a lot of them's goal is to move where you're at, you know, and says, why did you move here? You know? And I'm like, well, you know, I, I enjoy working there. And somebody asked me that on Sunday, they asked me for a, uh, to quote a scripture. And I said, I think it was Matthew 12 too, where it says what you've done for the least of these, you know, I'm probably wrong on that, but, uh, You're in the you, right know, path, said, yeah. you know, I said, you know, that, and then, uh, Mark 16, 15 says, you know, you're supposed to go into the world and, and preach the gospel. And so I thank God that God has not called me to preach. And so, or to go door knocking, but, uh, you know, I, I think that we're supposed to be doing these things and I feel more comfortable doing it uh, here than I do in the States. And people are a lot more receptive here. Yeah. You know, if, if there's a group walking around on Saturday and come to your house, you may not answer the door, you know. And yeah. but here it's like, you know, come on, we'll come out and we talk. And most of the time they come out the houses are tiny. And so they come out and, you know, we'll sit and talk for a little while. Yeah. And I think today the preacher and his uh some of his group are walking around the community today and tomorrow uh, and just door knocking and, and talking with people. And, yeah. And so that's, that's not my calling, thankfully. No. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I can facilitate a lot of that. You know, I can get, have Bibles and things like that. And so yeah. they wanted Bibles for today. So they got like 20 or 30 Bibles and they'll pass those out and, yeah. and, and they enjoy it. They have a great time doing it and it's just not my thing. And so I can, I can help facilitate that a little bit. And that's, that's my contribution. Right. I love that God though, does equip us in different ways. And if we all did the same thing, then, you know, nobody would be successful. So it's right. nice. It's, it's good when you hear people living in that space that God obviously gifted you for, and you've been doing this for years. And I think that's amazing. It took a couple of years to sort of get things rolling. I bet. And, and I learned a lot of things the hard way because when we started planting the farm, there was zero income. And so mm -hmm. then we started out paying a little bit extra. Uh, and there and a lot of people, you know, there were some people that said, you know, why don't you pay more, you know, and especially North American friends, you know. And uh, but until we had an income coming in, you know, it takes four years to get the coffee growing yeah. and or where it's actually producing, uh, you know. And so now last year we gave everybody a pretty decent raise. Um, so, you know, those things come slow and, and like learning the culture here and it's, it's a very slow getting things started and, and having the wisdom to finally, or finally having the wisdom to ask them, what do you need? 
you know, not necessarily, oh, I'm going to start this and, you know, let's put chimneys in for everybody. You know, my wife missed that one and hit it, hit the nail right on the head. And that was Mm -hmm. a huge need. But uh, we've had some projects that, you know, handing out the food. uh, We have an emergency pantry now. And so if somebody's husband dies or something like that, then we'll start taking food to the family for a few weeks or a few months. But uh, the people here have food because they, uh, they're around here, they'll have jobs. But what they need is their roof fixed or, you know, or a loan to buy a tiny farm or a loan to get the, the plants planted. Uh, we can give them plants because I think right now they told me there's 1,500 plants that we didn't use this year. So we can't carry them over to next year. So they'll start making a list and they'll give them out on Saturday. And so that's a big help. A plant costs about 25 cents. And so, you know, you need a couple hundred of those, then that's that's a chunk of money. Yeah. So find out what they needed. And uh, two of the things that we were wanting to get funding for is the dental clinic. So at the first of the year, we're hoping to start out just doing cleanings. Yeah. And so I'm going to try to see if I can work some in December at the, the dental office at the local college and see if they'll teach me how to do teeth cleanings. It's not my favorite job, but uh, uh, I'll start out doing those, just cleanings, and hopefully we'll find a dentist that'll come down once a month and start doing histories on the kids and cleaning teeth. And already the intern, or she's not an intern anymore, Midian is teaching them how to brush and, and things like that. But um uh, I wanted to do like a clinic, but basic clinics, it's a socialist medical system. So you can go to a basic clinic and yesterday Pedro cut himself and had to have like seven stitches. He can go there and it'll be very cheap for him to get that done. But I asked Anna, what do we need? And she said, well, we need a women's internal clinic. Like, a, I don't know how you say it, a gynecological, you yeah, know, a yeah. gynecologist. gynecologist. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a two and a half hour bus ride to where you could go and get an exam, pap smear, and whatever else they need. And so that's something we're starting to figure out and we're trying to find contact with Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson to where they have disposable, I forget what the kit's called, <laughs> you know, for one exam, the plastic sure. speculums or whatever the they're speculums, called. Speculums, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have those and I've designed and haven't finished building it yet, but a, a stove, that we can burn all that stuff when we're done. Okay. And, uh, and so, uh, and the stuff from the dental clinic also has to be burned when we're done with it. Yeah. Like all the spit and slob and stuff, you know, yeah. we, it, yeah. the little kid I've got sucks it into a three liter Pepsi bottle. And oh. so then all that we put in there and we burn it, you know, at however yeah. many degrees and uh, uh, to keep everything sanitary as we yeah. can and, and not hurt the earth and all that good stuff. But uh and so just Anna, you know, Anna's been a good guide to me to tell me what we need and what we don't need. And, you know, that might be a good idea there, but, you know, yeah, I, I think that's the right attitude because I think a lot of missionaries do get a bad rap of a little bit of a, I don't want to say God complex, but a little bit of that savior complex of coming in and I'll just fix everything for you versus you're right in the right attitude of what do you need and how can we fill that need so that it can continue on? And that's right. always, I think, the best. And that doesn't happen when you just go for a, a two-week or three-week trip. This is years yeah. in the making and years in the cultivating relationships and understanding the cultural differences and the societal things that that they're dealing with. Yeah. And I went on a bunch of the probably 30 or 40 of the little one week trips and, mm-hmm. and loved them, had a great time. Yeah, there's good, there's value in those. And like you said, especially when you have a setup, like if someone's coming to you where you have a setup and you can use that support and add in where you're at, I think, I yeah. think there's so much value in mission trips. So I never want to devalue that or sound like I'm picking on them at all. But no, the same be careful. here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because and I mean, like a group comes and they're going to build a house. Uh, we try to design it where I can build it in a week. And so that way they get to hand over the keys to the people, you know, while they're still here. So, you know, we'll have to get the footing and all done before they get here. But, you know, I've got a big truck that I use on the coffee farm. And so I can haul, I think, 600 blocks in my truck. And um, so when the group gets here, you know, everything's ready and we've got a concrete mixer and we've got all the tools, you know, that they need so they can step off the plane and start working the next day. And so that's something we've been setting up for a while and having all the tools and equipment they need. And so it took a while to get all that done. 
So we've got the one apartment now. The library that we built has chains hanging out of the walls, and it's to hang hammocks on. Oh, nice. I mean, we just built a bathroom yeah. for, uh, for everybody to use as a library. Mm -hmm. But my bathrooms are one little stall, and it's got a toilet. And it, when you shut the lid of the toilet, you can reach up and turn on the shower. And so the floor has a drain in it. Yeah, and yeah. so it's just one step. You know, you yeah. can do your business and then take a shower. You know, I like that. At the same time, you know, <laughs> nobody's yeah. judging you. No. But we, we started doing those and it saved us about $400 per unit when we do a house. And so San Diego and Pedro, both their brothers, they live beside each other. And they, one of them had a shower and the other one had a bathroom. But they each have a wife and they have 11 kids combined. A sister lives with them, a mom lives with them, and they're sharing one bathroom and one toilet. And so they came and yeah. applied for a bathroom and a toilet, you know, uh, that we, you know, like a normal one that you would see. And normally it's a bathroom stall on one side and a shower on the other side. And so what we built was both of them got a combo. And so both of them have a shower and a bathroom. So now Pedro has a shower, two showers and a toilet. And then San Diego has two toilets in the shower, that's you know, great. and so yeah. I can imagine that's what, 16 people or something like that. That's a lot. <laughs> and, uh, and half of them are women. So, you know, there's a whole lot more time in the shower, maybe for, for the girls and the guys, because yeah. they all got a wad of hair, you know? Yeah. And so that takes a while to, to, to go through it. But, uh, but no, it works out and it was $400 cheaper. And my son, Jonathan, actually did the, the bathrooms. He, uh, he's, he started working, so he's tithing now. And so he saved his tithe to the end of the year. And so he did a bathroom and a shower for the San Diego and Pedro. That's amazing. Year. Yeah, that's so. great for the kids. So I do have a question then. Um, so you still aren't full-time though in Honduras. You go back and forth between Wichita and Honduras. Why did you guys decide to do that rather than taking the full leap to be there full time year round? We moved here in July of 2014 mm -hmm. and we lived here full time until COVID. Oh, okay. When COVID, when COVID hit, the government said, stay in your house. And when they said, stay in your house, you stay in your house or you stay in the jail. That's right. So, I mean, they were arresting people for violating. And so the workers here, you know, it's like two kilometers walk to the store. And uh, the workers know the little trails behind everybody's house and all that to get to the store. Um, and so after about three weeks, we were starting to run out of food. We ran out of water because our water in the house comes from the river. And so you can't drink it. And so we had to go out into the farm. We have two natural springs in the farm. And so we were going to the spring and get water. And uh, we had a motorcycle that somebody left on the farm. So I was violating the curfew. And... Uh, or the order or whatever it was. And I would get on that motorcycle and just fly to the store, park behind the store and run in and get all my supplies and come back. And uh, so uh, we had to make that decision, you know, are we gonna, you know, they were allowing North Americans to like travel and leave, but it was a huge ordeal just to get yeah. to the airport. Like that. And uh, flights kept getting canceled. And, and if your flight got canceled once you were there, you didn't have the paperwork to get home you were there. And so you'd be living at the airport. And so when we were traveling, I had a week's supply of food for us that we traveled with, you know, so if we get stuck at the airport, we can at least eat, you know, and because uh, you live, literally you'd be living out in front of the airport because they close the airport, you know, and you'd have to get out and there was no taxis, no buses. So yeah, it was, it was an ordeal. And so we had to decide what we're going to do. And so we came back to the States and then during that time, the workers had to take on, you know, jobs that they had normally taken on. And luckily it was in a time that we weren't picking, we weren't fertilizing. So they just needed pay. And so we, we had enough, we left enough money here that they could last for four months and we put them on limited schedules and, you know, we backed their pay down to, you know, submit, uh, you know, it had to be rounded off to the amount of money mm -hmm. that we had. And, uh, so yeah, we just did an emergency kind of schedule where there were some people here every day working on the farm. So nobody would, you know, get into the house or anything. And um, so from that, I'd already sent my roaster to the United States. And so from that point, COVID was actually a little shot in the arm for the roasted coffee business because people were buying coffee and, and we were, and we shipped most of our coffee anyway. So that was, you know, I had a little business there I could do to make some money. And so 
we were all scared we were going to die anyway, you know, so we weren't really thinking that long term, you know, we were just, just <laughs> see what happens. So we started roasting coffee and, you know, shipping it out and they started taking on jobs here on the farm. And as soon as they lifted the ban where, I mean, the curfew where I could fly back in, then yeah. uh, it was probably about four months later, I flew back in and still it's pretty strict in the airport. You know, they're Is still it? randomly taking temperatures. Mm-hmm. I have to have a COVID test, you know, to come back in. And uh, like when I went to the bank on Friday, I had to wear my mask. The chairs were six feet apart. They sprayed my hand with gel and I had to wash my hands. They took my temperature and that was last Friday. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, they're still pretty strict about it, but yeah. nobody in my area here is, has ever had COVID. Wow. So that's, that's impressive. So they're starting to not believe that it exists, really. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and because they live in these big clusters, like I think some of the girls select, and there's three sisters that select on the table, and they're living, you know, in this little group of houses. And so when they get home, they're not wearing masks and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So they didn't want to wear masks when they were selecting the coffee. Yeah. You know? And Anna kept telling them, she pointed towards the security camera. She said, Ashley's watching, you know, you need to. <laughs> wear your mask, you know? And so, uh, but still, we just didn't have any problems, you know, as far as that went. And because it's like, we have an FDA food processing facility is what it's called. And so already they were having to do, uh, you know, hand washing things and, you know, one minute and all that good stuff or however it is, 30 seconds, whatever you're supposed to wash your hands. They were already doing those things, wearing hair nets. And, and if they had any kind of a sniffle or anything, they were already wearing a mask. So it wasn't a huge leap. Right. And uh, they just, you know, they, at the end of the day, they've settled down to here, you know, like most people wear their mask. <laughs> and yeah. so uh, they were safe as, you know, they could be and it was practical. And so we, we got through that. But once that it all started, you know, they took on those jobs. And, you know, I said, well, this could finally be where, you know, we could get back to the States and because uh, financially it was hard living here, you know, and not sure. having an income. And so because the, the coffee we sold didn't cover the cost of, you know, the farm. And so the farm will never uh, be a profit. You know, there's no way to grow good coffee, pay good salaries, do the projects mm-hmm. and make a profit. The profit comes from selling the roasted coffee. Yeah. Well, and that so tells me I, a little bit, too, about that your heart of it isn't you're obviously not there for profit or gain. It's it truly is being in that community. Um, are what is the goal for the future then? <clears throat> Excuse me. What's the goal for the future then going forward? Well, we're about 300 books from my goal for the library. And so then that'll be finished. There's a whole lot of work that I haven't finished because I was stuck in the States three months waiting for my container to get there. They kept delaying it. And uh, so I wasn't able to come here and finish some of my projects. But I still haven't finished wiring the church. There's still wires hanging from the roof and stuff like that. It's fairly safe, but not, you know, (laughs) but uh, a lot of the lights, you have to plug them in, you know. OSHA wouldn't approve. (laughs) OSHA, we wouldn't let OSHA in the door. (laughs) uh, But it's, uh, you know, we're still probably $15,000 from completely being finished. uh, And I've got some of my projects are a little extravagant. I've got a $5,000 patio that I want to build on the back of the library. Uh, It's on the back of the church. I want an area where the women can drop the kids off the library and then they can go and there's coffee pots and there's a patio that overlooks this view here. And then they can have a separation from the kids they can drink coffee and, you know, sweet bread and read a book if they want to, or just not cook and clean for a couple hours. I'm loving begin, that choice. Yeah. I'll do a project. And so there's a screened in porch that I want to build. But when I say porch, it's nine feet by like 55 feet. Okay. So it's a fairly big area. <laughs> and then it just overlooks the farm and just, uh, you know, just place for the women. And uh, I want to do the dental clinic. And I want to have a basic room set up. So when medical brigades come, we already have blood pressure cuffs and, you know, everything they need to, to triage the patients and all that. And, uh, and we've got some clinics that have already been coming out, but I want to do something on a more regular basis. And so uh, we were doing the budget. I think we need like 50,000 a year is probably what we need to run the project. And that's not a huge, you know, a huge amount in the grand scheme of things. Uh, so that's what our main goal is. 
to either either get that funding or to get the coffee business to where it can support it. You know, one of the two. And, you know, our largest profit thing that we do is sell roasted coffee. Mm-hmm. So that that would be our goal is to to get that up. And and my worst thing is marketing. I'm I'm horrible at getting more followers and likes and friends and all that all the stuff you have to do. And yeah, so a podcast a, is on my list of things to do. And I so, really uh, encourage you to do it. I think you do a great job. You have so many good stories to tell. Um, I I agree. We're such a marketing driven culture now too, or influencer based or whatever. So give me a couple of quick, what is the best way for those who are listening to support you? Where should website, what is Instagram? Well, lfmissions.org is our mission website. <clears throat> and then, you know, there's a donate button on Legacy Farms Coffee. Uh, it's legacyfarmscoffee.com or people can mail checks. You know, our, our regular address is there. But we have a regular nonprofit, so it's tax deductible. Or they can plan a trip, you know, if they've got a group, a church group uh, mm-hmm. that wants to come out. There's dates that, you know, are blacked out during harvest. We we only let one group a month come out. Sure. But now that we have Midian, she's bilingual. And so uh, she's going to start handling the groups so that we can have more groups coming during harvest. Because that's the absolute best time. The weather's horrible. We're working 14, 15 hours a day. We start the day at five, you know, end the day, sometimes at 10 o'clock at night. Uh, you eat Lipton cup of soup on the patio, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, but it's an absolute g- wonderful experience because you get to go out and wander through the, the farm. As long as you don't cross a barbed wire fence, you're in the farm. But there will be 200 plus people that just start just walk in the farm for like a one hour period in the mornings. And they're just families, entire families come and and they just start picking coffee that we have guides down there that tell them, you know, and give them rows and they'll pick. And at the end of the day, I'll take my truck down and I can haul about 4,000 pounds a trip because some of the hills are pretty steep. And so they'll just start loading coffee in my truck and I'll start hauling coffee up. They all have different little ribbons or something they put on their bags to mark their coffee from your coffee and they bring it up, they weigh the coffee and then they're gone and everybody's sweaty and sticky and, uh, and I have to pressure wash the truck because it's just, you know, all that juice from the coffee just gets in there. Uh, but we do that every day. And then I leave with my big truck and I can get over a hundred people in my big truck. Wow. So I'll go out to a place called Florida and I'll be there at about a quarter to six and I have five stops I make. And then people just load into the truck. Mm-hmm. And the young kids are hanging off the back like idiots, you know, it just, but they're <laughs> having a good time. And they're always just talking and, uh, but we bring them in in the mornings and then they go in and they pick coffee. And then Saturday is just a, is a madhouse because there's 200 people wanting to get paid. You know, and so we've weighed their coffee all during the week and they have a little list. They know exactly how many pounds and they're watching that scale like a hawk. So I don't sure. cheat out of a nickel. Yeah. And then they come in and they have to be paid in cash. And so last year, our biggest payday, the pay weighed 6.6 pounds. It was something like $3,000 US. Whoa. Okay. Um, wow. So, uh, okay. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And we pick coffee for about, if we have 200 people, we'll pick coffee for about eight days. And then we wait about 12 days and they come back and pick again. And so it's that way from the first week in January uh, through probably the last middle to the last week of March, we'll just okay. continually be in picking coffee. So your harvest is coming pretty soon here, actually. You got about a month and a half, two months out. Well, we'll do a Rikema picking uh, in two weeks. And that's the coffee that prematurely developed and it's black. It's no good. And we'll pick that Rikema. We sell it because it Folgers will buy it, you know, but you wouldn't want to drink it. But uh, we kid, we jokingly say Folgers, but that's basically yes, what yeah. it is. Yeah, uh, they'll pay us nothing for it, like eight or nine cents a pound. But uh, and then we'll do another picking the first week of uh, first second week of December, and that'll be fair coffee. We could sell that in the street here, and then right after Christmas they'll do a picking that'll be you know eight or nine thousand pounds for the whole week, and then those aren't financially aren't. Uh, worth picking, but you can't leave those grains on the ground or it, the insects that eat coffee will 
will multiply. But then that first week of January, you, you don't stop after that. So all yeah. the machines have to be ready. The cars have to be in good shape. And because uh, you just there's no time to work on anything or fix anything. And so farming wise, the farm's going to have to buy another truck so that, you know, the days that truck breaks down, then people will have to bring all that coffee. They have to walk it out of the farm. Ooh, yeah. yeah. And they, they do it all the they, time. No, I bet. I mean, yeah. yeah. 180 pound bags of coffee. They're, they're bringing it up by hand because there'll be days when it rains. I can't get the truck in there. Sure. And so those days we'll stop picking in the lower areas and we'll start picking higher near the farm or near the, the mill so yeah. they don't have to walk so far. That makes sense. And, and there's still a couple areas I can't get to in the farm. So you'll start them out picking high and then they'll pick to the low side and then I can get my truck close to that area. And so we do the best we can, but some days it's just muddy and it's not going to happen. And then yeah. they've got to walk up that hill, you know, with that bag of coffee and it being muddy. A lot of days it rains on them all day. You know, some of them will go home, but the half of them will stay and just keep picking. Yeah. And, uh, so it it's just, a fun time. I just keep thinking of, so my in-laws are big um, farmers. They have thousands of acres out in Western North Dakota, but they're, they have the huge combines and normally it's just one or two farmers that do these all of these fields they don't yeah. need so it's such an opposite feeling of they're because of some of the machinery and just you know some of the innovation that you know in the last you know 50 years or whatever with farming they they tend to do it within two or three guys and you're talking hundreds of people are needed to help just to get all that done in in a week or in eight days like that's that's a quite an undertaking to organize and oh yeah, yeah. but we have uh, right now there's 20 guys out in the farm uh, and they're cutting the grass with with hose, and uh, it'll take them probably the next two weeks to cut all the grass, and then after that they're going to start fertilizing, and it's going to take twenty guys eleven days to fertilize fifty five acres. Wow! And uh, I forget how many how much fertilizer that is. Is I think it's two hundred twenty five one hundred pound bags. Uh, and then they have to, you know, most of that will get hauled into the farm by hand. Yeah. So, because uh, we have to keep it in, we have to store it up here because if it gets real humid, the uh, ammonium nitrate will start melting. And so uh, then you can't mix it up very well. Yeah. And so uh, it has to be kept up here and they just take it down bags at a time. Yeah. And the guys generally will carry, will carry two bags at a time, which is 200 pounds. I'm just like, well. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of work that goes into that. When you think about it, I think we still think everything is automatized and easy and processed fast, and that's not the way of it. And it's, I think there's no. value in doing it, but it's it's a nice way of keeping it communal and supporting a community and doing that too. Oh yeah, we uh, like the bag that stitches up. You know, when you try to open up that big dog food bag, that funny little stitching, yeah. that machine is eight hundred dollars that stitches those bags up. Yeah. Our women get these great big giant needles and they sew the bags shut by hand, yeah. you know, and it takes the women, 200 bags will take the women, five women, four days to sew all the bags up. But, you know, it's not a huge expense for us and it's a good job for them. And they're just yeah. sitting on bags, just chatting and talking and the guys will bring them in uh, and fill them and then they'll sew them up and it's just, I wouldn't say a party, but it seems like they're having fun, you know, yeah. and I'm like, there's nothing fun about that. You know, I've sewed bags up. It's sort of tedious and I'm not very good at it. And so, but uh, that's the way traditionally they used to do the bags. And so I enjoy it. And then the, and some of my buyers in the United States complain about it because they, uh, you know, they will have to cut all those stitches out. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. For you. you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the women, uh, women sit there and just sew and yeah. talk and, and there's always somebody, you know, I try to bring them out coffee. That's the one thing I know how to do mm -hmm. and so I'll brew coffee and they always ask for sugar, you know, and so it hurts a little bit, but that's, you know, that's what, that's what they, how they do it, you know, and I, I won't tell you what's in my coffee. So <laughs> I no, don't put sugar in it. So there you go. That, that makes me feel better. I encourage people, you know, to drink a little bit of it black. And mm -hmm. before you start accenting it, you know, and to see what is, uh, you know, what the natural flavors are. And if you're using a Mr. Coffee, you're not going to realize a lot of the flavors that if you, you know, if you brew it at 195 degrees, the coffee will release more flavors. 
Sure. And that's like cold brew. It'll release different flavors at like 60 degrees. And I do my cold brews in the refrigerator. And so uh, it's just a different flavor that you can get. And, and I enjoy doing little classes here sometimes where I'll take the same coffee that I brew, you know, that I roasted two days ago and I'll brew it in an aerial press and a Chemex and, a, you know, those different things and let people taste how there is a big difference from yeah. the exact same coffee. But no, it's not insulting to me to, you know, put flavoring and stuff in it. Uh, <laughs> and I've, I've drank the, uh, I try every coffee we do, but the flavored coffees, you know, I've tried the pumpkin spice and the caramel rum crunch and those things. Uh, but the, still, I just enjoy the solitude of, you know, getting up at 4.30 in the morning and drinking a cup of black coffee and then my, my little stroop waffle and, I'm trying to watch my diet a little bit. So I'm, I've cut myself to a half a Stroopwafel a day. And, uh, <laughs> but used to, I would drink a whole little lo or eat a whole little loaf of bread with my coffee. And sure. I just quit doing that, you know, and uh, I start doing a half a loaf for the entire day. Because yeah. I enjoy when everybody leaves, I come in, I take my shower, and then I sit out here on the porch for about 30 minutes. And, uh, and then I have to go back and I put on my welding clothes or whatever, and I go back and work for a couple hours. And uh, I enjoy that 30 minutes in the, in the afternoon. And I take like 45 minutes in the morning and I just do coffee and write my little notebook and forget about yeah. the world and watch a Star yeah. Trek or something. You know? I think that's something culturally we need to take better care of that. We need more of that break and take reflection and enjoy that. I love it. Yeah, and I think as you get older, you realize some of those things also. I, I yeah. know you're, you're still a baby. You're not very old. Oh, but, I wish that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> when you got this gray, talk to me. Until then. <laughs> Mine's just covered up very well. <laughs> Vahidio, the little barber guy, told me last time I was here, he's like, you have a lot of gray. And I'm like, thank you. And he's like, and a lot of white. And I'm like, okay, you're not, you're not helping your tip, you know. But, uh, he said, yep. I can paint it black if you want. And I'm like, no, I, don't, I don't know what I what I oh, do. I love that. That's great. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here this morning. Tell me again, what's your Instagram that people can follow you at? Uh, Instagram is Legacy Farms Coffee 2010, because that's the okay. year we bought our first farm. Uh, and then on YouTube, it's just Legacy Farms Coffee. And then we're Legacy Farms Coffee on Facebook also. Awesome. I'll put okay. all of that in the show notes too, so people can link to that. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Um, do you want to show us the rest of the view? I think this is just so pretty. When you first started, there was this beautiful view, like the panorama of the kind of like on a hilltop here. Oh, man. Yeah, we're at 5,000 feet, and these are my yeah. bananas. Yeah, the bananas. <laughs> it's just beautiful and we're so much at, more green. Five, than. We're at 5,000 feet, and those are coffee plants. That's so cool. And so that's my private garden. I okay. Have a, I have a variety called Mario Hipe. It's a very difficult coffee to grow. And so we had 3,000 plants and we finally just gave up on them. And I transplanted 80 of them up to the house. And, uh, and I, every year, last year it produced 6.6 .6 pounds. And so I just, I roast that and I drink it myself. It, they call it. it elephant bean coffee. The, the yeah. grains are huge and they sort of look like an elephant's ear when they, when they pop, they crack oh. and open up. And, but now we have about 90,000 coffee plants here on the farm and, uh, crazy. So, yeah, it's, uh, but we have two kinds and we have a, uh, we have a mountain lion that sort of roams around, but doesn't seem to bother anybody. Uh, there's a couple of, uh, either those big snakes, they're giant snakes. I forget what they're called. Boa like constrictor. A, yeah, like a boa constrictor. Yeah. A yeah. Couple, okay. couple boas and they actually made their way up here to the house last year. They're usually way down in the farm, but we're in an, uh, a natural uh, wildlife preserve. And so there's deer, it's illegal to hunt anywhere around mm -hmm. here. Okay. And there's a, we have a waterfall that's about 45 foot waterfall that goes into a tiny little lake on the river and then runs on down. And so that's, uh, that's here. And we've got lots of walking trails out on the farm. And it's a, it's a pretty fun place to go. Sunday mornings, okay. I usually grab a Bible and a thermos of coffee, and I just take out walking in the farm and find me a place to sit, and that's church. And yeah, so, I uh, can't imagine. Yeah, it just sounds wonderful. 
Well, we wish you all the best, and I hope that people will click on your links to be able to learn more of some of the other things about your history and, and your story and the projects you have coming and how to support you. And yeah, we'll have to have you on again and hear an update after after harvest and stuff or in right. a couple months and see how you guys are doing. Yeah, just any time, let me know. That'd be great. Well, thanks so much. All right, thank you. Yeah. I want to say thank you again to Ashley for being willing to take the time to join me on Zoom and share about Legacy Farms. I hope you will take the time to check out the show notes. Again, there's websites, Instagrams, so that you can go support them and check out, see all the amazing stuff that they are doing. And if you want to see some of the things that we were looking at, again, you can get this podcast on YouTube. Just search Recourse Podcast. As always, if you do follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, um, or Spotify, please rate and review. It helps other people find the podcast. And I just cannot thank you guys enough, as always, for coming and enjoying these conversations with me. And I will talk to you guys again soon.